This is Revive Chicago. Listen and be changed. All right, we'll take off with this. And as I spoke last night, I've kind of been in the teaching mood to when I got here because there's so many things I want to help you with. And normally, if you've heard, you've, I know a lot of you have heard me preach on the screen and like that. And uh, traditionally, and when I preach a lot of places, uh, and Aaron knows this, that's why he was a little surprised of several scriptures, because usually I'm a one scripture person, right? I take it and tear it apart and spend a whole hour, 45 minutes to an hour on one scripture, which uh, surprises people how much I can get out of that. But when I'm with you here and not here so many times, I'm going to take several scriptures again, because I got a lot of little things I want to help you with. Uh, one of the things that uh, I just to reiterate my life a little bit, I get surprised uh, of how many people uh, are trying to serve the Lord, but they still carry around such oppression, so much weight of of them of their past or their personality or whatever. And um, I get surprised at that a little bit. But then again, I know I went through times when I was trying to get breakthroughs. I was a Christian. I was even in the ministry. And I'm trying to get breakthroughs, and it was difficult because I didn't know how. I wanted and didn't know how. And uh, I wanted to grow a better ministry. I wanted to reach more people, and I didn't know how that either, like why. And so you know the story. I ended up just due different circumstances. I was sharing at lunch yesterday that uh, I ended up in a pastoring in a town of 532 people because our house our duplex we lived in was hit by a tornado. I survived. I was in the house of a EF four, wasn't a five, but it was a four. That's a pretty good one. And it flattened everything around us, except that we were in a, I was in a brick house and it lasted, but it got condemned. You couldn't live in it, but, but it didn't go down on me, smashed everything in sight. But, uh, so we had to move and we couldn't find a place to live. So we ended up in this small town because they were building little, you know, building new houses out there. And it was a nice little house. And so we end, that's how we ended up there. And uh, I didn't know there was a church there. And through certain circumstances, you've heard the story, we got offered a church here in the Chicago area in Orland Park as a, what do you call it? Like not the senior, but right under associate. And they said, you know, then you'll inherit this church someday, which I don't think we would have, but that's what they said. And because the guy's still there today, I think. Uh, but and I think, uh, and uh, but anyway, through that, the Lord let us see this historical site that was in the other end of town, and I didn't even know it was there. And anyway, through circumstances, you've heard the story, we ended up in this church that had no people, no money, and about to fall down. And we opened that with, we had no money, it had no money, it had no people. And as the time went on, though, it was kind of considered a success in the town that size. If you have in a town of 532 people and you've got a church of 150 people, it had a Methodist church and a Baptist church in town. And they had like 30 people in their church, 40 people, you know, and we had 150 people. And sometimes I, I, we grew maybe 180 sometimes. And so... Uh, considered a success, but I didn't feel like a success because I needed to go someplace with God that I couldn't get to. And I had things I wanted to get breakthrough. And uh, being in that small town, though other small towns 
thought that's a success because they were in small towns. Really, nobody cared about me at all. I had no friends because nobody cared, you know, because, oh, you're in this dinky little town. Nobody cares. So I had no friends. Nobody paid attention to my preaching except this little group, my own church. They thought I was great, but nobody else did. Nobody else did. And so I kind of was stuck. Like, here I'm stuck. You know, these people think I'm great, but the whole world doesn't care, you know. And I want to, I'd like to do better than that. I'd like to reach out better than that. And I'm trying to figure out uh, why, because all these people thought it's really too bad that more people aren't hearing your sermons, you know. And I'm trying to figure out how, what, what's the problem here? And I began to realize that the reason people didn't want to hear more of my sermons was because of me. It was me. Uh, the problem was me. And I realized, you know what? I'm the one that needs to change. I'm the one that's in the way. It's, it's not that there's something wrong with them and they just don't recognize me. If I, if I could get some kind of a breakthrough with God. And so I began to pray over a kind of a long journey. I don't want to be me anymore. Because I began to realize, you know what this is about? This is about uh, not people, and this is the problem with churches today. This is not about finding a church that accepts you. This is how quiet it is. It's hundreds and hundreds of churches around here that people are finding. They just want to find a place that accepts them the way they are. That's not Christianity. Christianity is finding a church where you can be transformed, where you can be changed transformed new creation transformed transformed and if you don't want to be transformed then you're going to find a church that says well i'm going to go to that church because they accept me for just who i am isn't that the world we live in i'm looking for a partner i'm looking for a mate i'm looking for a friend that accepts me for who i am i don't want to get better i don't want to change i don't want anybody to tell me anything that i could do better i just want somebody to love me and accept me for who i am and that doesn't work either because we always get disappointed, you know, because we're, we're always have that expectation. I met you. I'm with you because I want you to accept me and kind of feel and we always get disappointed. So. So I just went the opposite way and decided I don't want to be me anymore because me is stuck. Me is me stuck. So I began that journey and I began to pray that. And in the midst of that, I went through terrible, terrible times to get to not be me <laughs> because I, 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 it was too hard for me to just change, you know. And uh, if you've heard this, I know some of you heard the story, but terrible, terrible times to where I almost lost everything, just about everything, right, Kathy? Yeah, our lives, our lives, our lives, my family, uh, everything. And I didn't do anything wrong, but it just, my whole world collapsed. And I thought, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So that year in March 10th, uh, I'd been ministering in that church, as you know, and I preached 10 minutes or 15 minutes and, uh, I walked out and left and, uh, didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew I didn't want to be me. I was so broken. I didn't, I didn't, couldn't even speak. I preached about 10 minutes or so, and that's all I could get out. And I couldn't speak. I lost my voice. I lost my personality. 
and I went, and I couldn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. The only person I talked to was Kathy. I called her about twice, two, three times. I couldn't talk. I had no life. I had no personality. I, I lost. But, okay, it was terrible. It was awful. It was, you know, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And, you know, it says, and I feared no evil. No, it was like hell to me. It was terrible. I, I was in terrible fear. You know, I didn't know who I was or anything. But looking back, I realize now that I'd been praying, I don't want to be me. And I'm going through this, getting my prayers answered. But it was not like I expected it to be. And so by the time I got down to the other end, I, looking back, I realized my prayer was answered because, you know, it's so scriptural, you know, uh, because I, I got my prayers answered by the scripture that says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. You know, I've said that for years, but I'd been so alive and all of a sudden now it's no longer me and I had to go through a whole lot to get there. And and so all of a sudden then I come back, as you know the story, I came back to the church thinking I'll try and if nothing happens, I'm quitting. I mean, I'm not coming in and just starting over, right, Kathy? I said, I will, I felt this unction to go back in, but if nothing happens, I'm not gonna start over, I'm out, but I'll try. I'll walk in and I did and you know the story. I was so powerfully touched by the hand of God. There's even a song written about it, right? I've been touched by the very hand of God. Uh, and um, I was so powerfully touched that the whole church was there. It's not like I'm over here by myself and I'm gonna come in and tell you a testimony of how God touched me. And, uh, there was 150 people there who knew me for years and I became a different person right in front of their eyes, in front of my wife, in front of family, in front of friends. God touched me. I leaped into the air by the lightnings of God is what I call the best I could call it. And I became a different person. And at that point, I realized what this is really all about, the power of transformation. And suddenly I was so different. I began to preach different. You know that I've been a musician for years. I began, I didn't sing anymore. I didn't play or sing. I'd quit. All of a sudden, that night, I went to the piano. I began to sing. I have no, I, I, I don't know how I did it because I hadn't done it for so long, but I did it. I began to sing. I began to preach and I began to pray for people and things began to happen. And guess what? Before that time, nobody wanted to hear me. Well, get this. You, you, you're too young. Some of you are old enough to know that. Remember what a, you ever seen a cassette tape? You know, well, back then, that's they moved on to CDs. But uh, I might have told you this, but I used to we used to buy a box of a hundred of them and put them at the back of the church, and then if you and then they'd put my sermons in there, and nobody ever took them hardly. It was just a hundred sitting there, and it was really embarrassing. And every once in a while, I'd go grab five or six of them, you know, just to, <laughs> so. No kidding, you know, I just this is so embarrassing. I know just take some home. I couldn't give a hundred away, right? Get this, after this happened and people began to notice and you guys know the story, people started coming from around the neighborhood, the state, and then the country, and then the world. And uh, all of a sudden, it was a, only about six months later, we were getting, giving, having 10,000 a month, 10,000 requests a month. How does that happen? What, what happened? 
me. I changed. I didn't tell them, hey, you don't know what you're missing, folks. I'm really it. <laughs> right? And that's kind of how we feel. Like, nobody understands. Nobody understands how great I really am. Nobody understands me. You know, we, you get that? Do you get how you feel? You just want to go to everybody and say, but you don't understand. But you don't understand. No, but they don't understand me. You know? And we, we just want to tell everybody that. And, uh, and then we all of a sudden we wake up and say, nah, they do understand me. That's why I'm where I am. Everybody understands. And uh, so, as you know, then from complete obscurity within six, eight, nine months, I was launched from complete obscurity from national to international ministry for three and a half years. And then you already know a quarter of a million people came to that town of 532 people and just changed everything. And I was telling them uh, at lunch yesterday, you know, it's amazing. You had to try to imagine what it's like to be featured in Newsweek magazine when you were complete obscurity. And all of a sudden now you're in Newsweek magazine, not just Newsweek USA, Newsweek International, all over the world. Every Newsweek in the world, there's your picture and there you are, you know, like, ah. So obviously everything changes. And now you can go anywhere in the world and people know. I went to the uh, Charisma magazine, did a, did I tell you this story? You have to act like I didn't, but they, uh, they did a thing called, um, because it was out in the, well, first they did a thing called uh, the Cornfield Revival, but then they did another story. It says, the man from the middle of nowhere. And that was the title of it. So then I went to Japan. And Japan really, really loved us because they're a small country and then we're a small church. It said, if it can happen there, it can happen to us. So they put posters all over Tokyo and except they could, didn't get it translated right. Instead of the man from, from uh, the middle of nowhere, they just, there's my picture and it says the man from nowhere. <laughs> no kidding. The man from nowhere. But we would go to, we would go to Japan and, you know, 2,000 people would just pack in every, as many people, every night. As many people, they'd have more people than they could seat, you know, going in there. So uh, I'm saying that to you because it, it wasn't talent or smarts. It was transformation. All of a sudden, so changed that people, basically all it was is people all of a sudden wanted what I had. And before... They didn't. They didn't. And you get that. What, who, and the power wasn't me. I didn't transform myself. I probably, I would have if I could have, but I couldn't. And so everybody sitting here, what I'm trying to say to you is everybody's a potential transformed person. But we don't, or we don't know how, or we just glide along. And I decided not to. And it was not easy for me, and it was a kind of a journey, but once it's, by the way, but once it actually started, it wasn't that long. Once it actually kicked in, but leading up to the desire to do it, it kind of took a little while, but once it kicked in, it didn't take that long. And a powerful, powerful moment in God. And anyway, have I said it enough to get you hungry to think through this a little bit? Like, you know, I want to be more successful. I want to do this. I want to do that. I wish I could be. Think about that. Maybe if you could just 
let God just transform you more and more and more, you, <laughs> you'd be more appealing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You'd be more, you'd, you know, you just, he would take you, you know, into those places and, and you could be transformed, you know, and changed. And so that's where the kingdom of God is. It's changing us. It's not trying to accept us. You know, and obviously we know that this is not a kingdom that judges us, but it's a kingdom that changes us and helps us. We accept people where they are, but we don't want you to stay there forever in misery or in your past or or any, any of those things. Because there's no reason to. There's no reason to. And I and um, I'm just sharing here. I don't know what I'm how, where I'm going to go, but uh, I, and I also get really frustrated a little bit with people when they. They, they're so oppressed, you know, and they go to church, they're so oppressed. And, I, and sometimes I ask them, you know, I say, I'd like to pray for you, you know. And, uh, you know, what's the problem here? How can I pray for you? And they, they tell me why, oh, well, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm going like, what? What happened? You know, like, well, <laughs> my mommy left me on the potty and didn't come back and get me, and I just can't get over it. What? Just little things like, what? What? My kindergarten teacher, mine did too, you know. Mine didn't let me pet the raccoon, remember that? I'm the only one in the class didn't get to pet the raccoon. It's something we had, it was my turn, it was next, and something happened, and then when the next, then we came back and sat down, and it was my turn, and she forgot and went to skip me and gave it to the next kid. It was my turn to pet the raccoon, and she forgot and went to the next kid, and Still not over it, but but I forgive her and and stuff like that. And I don't understand that. You know, I don't understand the 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 weight that we give to such trivial things when the rest of the world is going through such heavy things. And my life, you know, my life was probably none of you have gone. I I, I don't want to assume totally, but probably none of you have gone through what I've gone through. Probably none of you. Just amazing. My granddaughter is just amazed. She says, I don't know how God kept you alive. She said, yeah, this is the truth. She says, you have a special grace on your life or you wouldn't be alive. By, in, by the, in the first grade, is it okay if I tell some stories, Kathy? Are you okay with it? Not? Well, there is a reason I'm telling. I'm not, anytime I'm not just telling stories to tell stories, but not too long. Okay, I'll go quick. The first time I got beat up, I was in first grade, totally beat to a pulp, first grade. By second grade, my, I was chased by a knife. Someone wanted to kill me, and my sister, Diana, which you, some of you know, she was older, and she was able to come and rescue me from that by the second grade. So I've been, um, you already know, I think I told the story last time. You know, I've been shot at, gun pulled on me, knife pulled on me. I got bashed into the head with a baseball bat so that the back of my head here doesn't look like this side. <laughs> this side is out because I got bashed so hard in the back of my head. Did you know when that happens, everything smells different? <laughs> it does, bang, and I was in there. I got bashed in the head. I was with a friend. He got shot. I didn't. He got shot, and 45 minutes later, we figure out he got shot. We didn't even know he got shot. And then all of a sudden, something feels different. You've been shot. And uh, just... On, and I, uh, by 17 years old, I didn't have any. I used to beg for food. By the time I'm 17, I had nothing. I begged for food. Uh, I had to beg at lunch, at school. I just, 
had nothing. I completely down to nothing. And so you live that kind of life. Uh, and that's all I'll say. That's enough, right? Just a lot of rough stuff. Rough, rough, rough stuff. And dude, I played, played in a place called the Jockey Club. Rough. Just like in the movies. And they called it the Jockey Club because it was across where they had horses. And you just, uh, I played there every night for how many years? Oh, in the band. Yeah, I was in this band. Rough. I saw people, they beat them up and they pull and they fight. And, you know, just like in the movies, all the equipment gets knocked over. Like, so, but that's how I made money at the time. So, so then when I hear people's stories like this, well, I got my feelings hurt. And I think, come on, where's Jesus in all this? You know, where's Jesus in all this? Let's get transformed. Let's get changed. Let's go after something. Let's want to be different, you know? So, all right. So let's start with this. Uh, Hebrews 11 started my life differently. It says, without faith, it is impossible. Now, if God says something is impossible, he must be serious because this is a God of possible. Without faith, though, it is impossible. Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God. How many want to please God? Okay, you got I see that hand, which I didn't see any, but, uh, but uh, okay. Uh, it's impossible. Think of that when God tells you something is impossible, how serious it is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're not walking in faith, you're not pleasing God, but he gives us some clues. He says, because you have to, to please God, you have to believe that he is or that he exists. So I'm assuming most of you here came because you do believe God exists. But here's where the faltering comes. And, and this is where I come in, I hope you do too, and that he is a rewarder of those that earnestly, diligently seek him. On a regular basis, energy seeking, go after him. And so that's been a theme of our lives forever. Seek first the kingdom of God. We seek, we go after earnestly. And so we live in the great rewards. We've been rewarded with when I had nothing, as I said, I had zero, zero, zero. Even when I met Kathy, I had zero. When we started the church, we had zero. But he is a rewarder because we set our sights. We're going to seek the Lord diligently, regularly, on all the time, and, and uh, live by faith. And so what we had to do to live by faith, you may know this about your own walk. You may know this about faith, but we had to believe that he is a rewarder. And if we're going to believe that by faith, we couldn't look at our circumstances. We couldn't look at what we didn't have. It would have been real easy. And other people did too, to look and say, what are you doing? You're crazy. You have nothing. And you're going to start this church in this little dinky town. And it's not the first time. It's not the only time we did this. We've done several times this type of thing but you what do you our circumstances said no our circumstances said it won't work and we've been there so many different times but faith believes if i continue to seek him i will get rewarded so i do not have to look at the situation or the circumstances they are not going to rule my decision making so by faith so in, in one of the rules of my life is I do not let fear make decisions. Think about it. Think about it. You, you can nod your head and say, yeah, I agree. But uh, wait a minute. How many times have you let fear and anxiety make a decision for you? 
I don't allow fear or anxiety to make a decision. And they're poor decision making. All right. I let faith do it. So I don't look at the situation. I don't look at circumstances. Most of the time, I don't look at finances, but you could, you could be a fool there too and be stupid to not. But most of the time uh, with the church and with our lives, I first make the decision by faith. Is it the will of God? And if it's the will of God, then we will figure out how to do it. Then we look at the finances. And if it's not what we like it to be, we will figure out how to make it be. If it's the will of God, we'll do it. It's the will of God, we'll do it. So I don't start with the money. I start with the will of God by faith. And I don't let the circumstances decide what I do. Does that all make sense to you? I don't let fear decide. I don't let the circumstances decide. The situation doesn't decide. Money doesn't decide, all right? Because I walk by faith. So I believe that the first thing I do then is seek the Lord. I know that he exists, obviously. But I also a strong believer that he will reward me by earnestly, diligently, consistently seeking him. All right? So any of you, you can start that today. You can start that tomorrow, right? If you're behind a little bit on that, doesn't doesn't cost you anything to seek the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to, it doesn't cost you any money, just costs you some energy, diligently, energy, seek, seek the Lord. All right. And when you do that, then when you're going to seek the Lord and he's a rewarder of those that seek him, diligently seek him, and you're not going to look at your circumstances, then you're going to start looking ahead. Remember, if you heard last week's sermon, in case you did or didn't, but uh, now we, we're not going to start looking at what is. We have to look forward to what is not. Because if he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, that means you're going to start believing in what is not yet, but yet it's coming, right? Something is coming. Something is not here yet, but my faith says it's, it's going to be. It's like Abraham, right? And Abraham, the Bible says Abraham was as good as dead. Get really old. And yet God promised him a child. Impossible situation, and he's as good as dead. But Abraham, not First of all, he, he could not look at his age. He could not look at his circumstances. Yet he believed God that he could father a child. Okay? And his wife had to believe it too. And she was old too. And they did not look at the circumstances. They did not look at the situation. They did not sit down and try to figure this all out. Abraham believed God by faith. And so we, 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 we've got to follow that. He's the father of our faith. He's the example of our faith. And so when you, when you want to walk by faith, then you start looking at things that are not yet and start believing ahead. Forward thinking, as I said last week. Not yet. And you seek the Lord so you get wisdom. You don't want to be foolish and all of a sudden be thinking stuff that's way, you know, that's not really in the will of God. So you seek the Lord, but then you start believing, right? Start believing ahead of things that are not yet as though and then you start speaking what what i do once i get there scathy notes once i get there and i know it's the will of god then i start believing and i start speaking as though we're already either there or going there we're going there we're going there do you get that you start speaking it you start thinking it and you, you the bible says you start calling things that are not like they already are do you get that? Is that too hard? It's a little different if you're not used to it. 
But it's easy. It's easy for us to start talking all the time about all the failures or everything you're afraid of, right? It's easy. You ever heard somebody just sit and talk about their fears? I'm just afraid. Well, I'm afraid it won't work. <laughs> you know. I like the people that I like people that come to church and say this. They say, "Well, we did it tonight, John. Or you know, or you know, we did it this morning, John. Uh, it's so dark out. It feels like tonight. <laughs> it's so cloudy this morning. John said that too. Like, what? What time is it? It's so cloudy. Uh, but they come to church and they would say, you know, well. I don't, I don't see why we have to sing so many songs. I don't see why they raise their hands. Well, I don't see why Aaron had them come up front. I just don't see. I don't see why. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, hold it. Here's your problem. You're blind. You just told me what's wrong. You don't see, right? The Bible says that people are blind. They don't see. You just need to get your eyes open. You'll understand that. So people by faith see ahead of time. And they call those things that are not. They begin to see. And so uh, people of vision, people of faith begin to look ahead, right? And we begin to get excited of what can be. And so I have, as I told you last night, strategy. God's given me strategy for our church, which would include you uh, too. So then, then I began, I do, I begin to act by faith on what I already believe is coming or is. Begin to act. I begin to feel it. I begin to know it. I begin to see it. You understand that? And I don't, so nothing in the past, have nothing to do with fear. I don't let anxiety come in. If the circumstances change, we just keep going. We just keep going. I was telling them at lunch, uh, brunch, lunch yesterday that uh, we, you know, built the church we have now and, and, uh, uh, and all the buildings that we have now. And when we laid the big concrete pad down, guys that sat near me heard it yesterday, but we laid the big concrete, big old concrete. You know, it's a big building. It was our first one we did. We laid it down, and there it is. Great. And um, if you heard of Pat Robertson, then he drove into town, and he heard we had this pad. Oh, uh, and, you know, when I was, you know, on TV all the time, then people come and see you. They don't come and see me anymore. I'm not on TV. <laughs> but anyway, so Pat Robertson heard about it. So he drove over a couple of cars worth of people and he drove on our property and he came over and said, oh, I want to dedicate this concrete pad to, to the Lord. So he got out and prayed. He said, hands in the air. We got pictures of him with his hands and he dedicates it uh, to the Lord. Oh yeah, that's really great. And we did that. And so that goes on. And then on September 20th of that year, then I go to the hospital, my granddaughter's born, right? And there she is. Oh, she's so cute. Oh, this is a great day. Our grand, first granddaughter and all that. We're all so happy and everything. Then the phone rings and I, yes, uh, the city just canceled us, said you cannot build a building on that concrete pad. And it was expensive too. You cannot build it. You cannot build your building. I go, what? They, okay. I'll call you back. <laughs> so I, I'm praying. I call you back. Okay, we got to pray. I called a couple of people. We got to pray. Then I called him back and said, here's, here's what you're going to do. So I got a plan. I didn't let the circumstances change the thing. We're going to build that building. I know that. We're going to build it. So circumstances didn't change my faith at all. It's just situation. So I said, here's what you do. I want you to sit out in the hall, wait, and wait, and wait, ever how late. And the guy who told you that we couldn't build the building office. I said, he's going to leave that office and go do, he's going to do something sometime. 
As soon as he leaves that office, you go in there and you go into the next office that's behind that office where the more head guy is and just walk in. Don't expect, just walk in, tell him, hey, who you are. And they told us we couldn't build our building. Just go in there and tell him exactly our story. So that he did. He waited, the guy left, went in there, told him the story, called me back and he said, it took 30 seconds. He said, okay, and he signed off of it and there we go, and we were done, you know? But God gave us a plan. I didn't say, woe is me, oh no, what are we gonna do? I said, we'll get a plan, this is what we're gonna do, okay? All right, so, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, 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 sorry, okay. So I wanna give you a mystery now of how this works, all right. So here's a mystery. You tell me what this means. Uh, Jesus said this. He, he who has, more will be given. He who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. Now that's really strange in our culture because we have just the opposite. We have, especially... Uh, when the Catholic Church was in control before the Protestants came in, but the Protestants did the same thing pretty much, we have it, you only give to poor people who need it. You give to poor people. So they invented uh, monks who made it spiritual to be absolutely poor and have nothing. They gave everything away and they begged for money or for food or whatever, and that was being spiritual. That's very unscriptural because poverty is a curse in the Bible, but that's what they did. So it, in, it got into us that what you do with your money is you give to poor people, right? That's what you do. You help the poor. Now, I'm not saying that it's not in the Bible to help the poor, but if that's all there is, then this makes no sense. Jesus said that you're supposed to, he who has will more be given. Give more to the one who has. All right? And then... He who has not, what he has will be taken away. Is that kind of, it's kind of a riddle, isn't it? Kind of hard to understand. Until you understand how the kingdom uh, of God works and how tradition makes us so confused. So an, another, um, an, another one that does that is, says, He who is faithful and little will be given Little, he who is faithful in much will be given more, right? So the riddle is like this. Jesus then gives several, sometimes it's minus, sometimes it's talent, sometimes we can just say money. But he uh, gives a, one person 10 minus, if you want to say that. We don't know what that is that much, but he gives one person 10, he gives another person five, and he gives another person one. And he says, go and do something with this, Right? And the one who's given 10 gets 10 more. Says, look, I got you 10 more. The one who's given five says, look, I've given you five more. The one who was given one says he was afraid. And he was afraid of the one who gave it to him. Why could you be afraid? The guy gave you something for free and you're afraid of him? What? How silly is that? But anyway, he says, I was afraid. I kind of heard you were a mean guy. So I was afraid. So I went and hid it, and here, here's your one back. I did the same thing. Here's your one back. And the master says, no, I don't like that at all. So he says, take the one that was given to the one who had one, 
and give it to the one who has 20. So now he's got what? 21. So he says, he who has even more will be given. And he who has not, which he just had the one, will have that taken away. Now he's got nothing. That's God's kingdom economics. Now that doesn't mean you don't help the poor, but it's two different classifications. And for most of us growing up around churchy church, all we know is how to give to the poor. Not knowing how God operates, God operates in investment. And he, there, there's two different ways to look at it. So God, God says, listen, I want, to, I want you to learn how, and he's going to do the same thing. I'm going to invest in a good invested person. I want, to, I want to give money to the one who will invest it in the kingdom and will earn, earn or turn around and get more. I want to give 10 to the 10, and he comes back with 20. See, so God invests it in people who know how to multiply the kingdom or multiply finances, multiply something. And the one who just sits on it and doesn't ever do anything with anything, then he says, the one who has little and does little will just get little. But the one who takes much and does much will get what? More. And we just like don't get that. We don't think of it. Because religion just kind of blinds us to that. And so what I try to tell people is you've got to change your mind on that. You, you do help the poor. But when you help the poor, that's helping the poor. That's it. Done. It's just a good deed, right? It's a good thing to do. But when you want to, when you look at your, your finances and you say, I need to increase, I want to be blessed by God, I need a, a blessing, you don't give to poor people so you get a return. Because that's it. Bless poor people. That's what you do. It's the right thing to do, right? But if you want to say, God, I, I, you know, I need something. I need, maybe you're the poor person, but, uh, but I, I have some money. I have some, I'm really kind of struggling but I want to be generous. I want to give to the kingdom of God. Well, then you wouldn't give that to the poor person because that's your return is your generosity. But God teaches us then, well, then you give to success. You give to the blessed. See, because the blessed person, the success person, what's he going to do? He's going to multiply it. He's going to give. If you give to that person, then he's going to, or she, is going to multiply it. So you give to the one who has, because then they're going to end up with more. If you give to the one who has one, it's going to be gone. So you find he who has, you look and say, you know what? More is going to be given to you because you're going to turn this around. And then God sees that's good for you. You invested it in the blessed, somebody that will do something with it. And that's completely foreign to most people in the kingdom of God. They know how to give to the poor, but then they, uh, and then they look at it and they, oh. Some, so somebody will say, why? Why did you give that to that person? They didn't need it. And you go, that's right. But I did. I needed it. So I gave it to somebody that can do something with it. 
that has the way that's shown success, that knows how to make it multiply, that knows how to do something with it. And it's totally foreign to most people. They don't know how to give the 10, the five. They might know how to give the one maybe, but mostly just the poor. And so what we did is what we did, because I, I've told you a hundred times now, as you've seen me, how, how we didn't have anything. And we were poverty and didn't know it. We were so happy in God, we didn't even know when we were in poverty, but in early days of our marriage. But um, so here's what we did. We found somebody that had a long-standing record of success in ministry, success in ministry and financial success in ministry. And that's who we gave our money to as far as, now not poor, not the poor. We still, you know, we gave money to people all the time. But when we wanted to say, God, we want to, we want to prosper in you. And we're not there yet. So we, we found a successful, a person that we saw was successful in ministry. They've done stuff. And they had a long, you know, a long standing ministry. So we would give our money to them because we knew we're giving to success. I don't want to give to a failure. I don't want to give somebody that's going to just squander it. They don't know, you know, they don't know what to do with it. So we would give to success. So I know that's going to be successful. And now we're giving to success. God, we're going to give to success. And we know that's going to prosper the kingdom of God. So when we give to success, we know we're going to prosper with it. And you're going to remember that because we, we didn't have the means. We didn't have the means to do what they could do with it. So we gave to a successful person that could do something with it that had the means, they had the talent, they had the ministry that we didn't have. And then we said, so God, we're going to invest in the blessed. And totally foreign to most people. But whether you agree with it or not, and whether you like it or not, I'll just tell you, it worked for us. It really worked, worked for us. Okay. So I just wanted to uh, tell you, that's what I'm here to do is tell you uh, what what worked for us, okay? So it was a spiritual investment that we did. All right, now some more. I'm not going to go real long, um, but uh, some more. All right. Now I'm going to go to Luke chapter 5, all right? I really like this one. I told you, Aaron, I normally don't jump around. But my subject is still there because I'm trying to talk about kingdom economics. Uh, how the kingdom works financially and how it's worked for us. Okay, so in Luke chapter 5, Jesus wants to teach. And so you might know the story a little bit or maybe heard something about it. And so uh, he's got these fishermen, right? And so he decides the best way to teach is get in a boat, put the boat out there, and then I'll teach the people on the shore which is good anyway. You know, sound travels really well on water anyway. I don't know how far out he went, but so he does. He teaches, gets out there. And then uh, after he's done, then he tells uh, Simon, it says, or Simon Peter, he says, Simon Peter, throw your nets out there for a big catch. And Simon says, Master, we have fished all night long and haven't caught a thing nothing and 
By now, we've cleaned our nets, and apparently that was a big job. I guess you had to do that each time to keep your nets clean. We've already cleaned our nets. We put everything away. Everything's done. We didn't catch a thing. And then he kind of shrugs, I guess. I'm kind of adding my thoughts to it. Kind of shrugs and says, but because you say so. Some people have preached it because of your, because of your word and like it was God's word, but... I don't think it was God's word. I think it's just because, you, you you know, you're the master. Because you say to do it, okay, I'll do it. All right? Now, an interesting thing takes place that we'll have to decide whether you agree with it or not. So I looked at it last night, just last night, and maybe this morning. I can't remember which. Okay. And I looked at it, and I have the NIV, okay? But I know this well enough. So the NIV translated it so... Jesus said, put out your nets for a big catch. And so the NIV translated, so Simon Peter grabbed his nets and went out. Okay? But not all translators translated it that way. So then, Aaron, I had to go back, you know, and I'm going through Greek linear and all that stuff. And they didn't agree. So for the sake of it, I took some of the Greek that illustrates it, and I just took the one I liked the best. Because <laughs> they, they didn't agree. And I know why, because eventually they have to yield to this thing, and I, that's why they did it. Okay, so some of the Greek did this, and I like this. The story makes better sense to me if I take this one. It just makes sense, okay? All right, so Jesus said, take your, go, take your nets... And throw it out there for a big catch. And then I looked at the Greek, and it said this, at least half of them said, So Peter went and took a net. It didn't say nets. It said he took a net. Now later, they get their, in the Greek, their nets. So I'm suspicious that they just said nets all the way through, assuming but later they get their nets because there's so much fish. But anyway, so, and this makes sense to me. So it says, go take your nets for a big catch. And then the Greeks later on said, but Peter went and got a net single. So I just put myself in the position, you can do it or not do it, but put myself in the position. So you can tell already he really doesn't want to do this. Master, we've already fished all night long, and we haven't got anything, and we've already cleaned our nets. So I'm thinking, if I'm Simon Peter, and I've already cleaned the nets, what would I do? I might just go into the back of the boat and maybe get an old one or something, you know, because I'm not, he's not expecting to catch anything, you can kind of tell. We've already fished all night, but, you know, since you say so, okay, I'll toss one out there. So possibly, I'm, I'm, I'm adding a little bit of my story to it. Okay, okay. But anyway, if it is net, and it makes sense, so possibly he just went and got an old net, one that didn't matter because he'd cleaned the others. He didn't want to clean them again. So possibly he went and got a net and threw it out there. Now, he's not expecting this big catch, right? All of a sudden, he's in the middle of a big catch, and what happens? It says the net begins to tear. That's why I'm thinking like it wasn't maybe the best of the nets. Maybe an old one, maybe whatever. 
Well, then when it begins to tear and they get so many fish, the boats begin to sink and the other guys get involved because it was supposed to be just Simon at first. The other guys get involved and then it says now they cast their nets, which would make sense, and they bring in the big catch, right? Now, why does that make sense to me or even make any difference? Well, because it's what Simon Peter does next. After that, he comes to Jesus and he comes down to him and says, get away from me. What? Why would he do that? Get away from me for I am a sinful man. I mean, he just got blessed, right? He just got a whole lot of fish when he didn't have fish before. And if you put this together, it makes a whole lot more sense that he would say that because if Jesus did say, throw your nets, and he just threw a net out there and didn't really, really get into it, he realizes, you know what? I had flawed faith. I did not, I did not believe. I didn't believe you. I doubted you. I didn't believe you. I wasn't into it with you. And then I saw this and... I, I'm just not, I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I don't, I, I think he's more saying I don't deserve to be here more than get away from me. I don't want to be part of you. It's more like he said, I don't deserve to be here. I, I am flawed because I didn't, I didn't follow. I didn't follow like I should have, you know, it's sort of like King Saul was told to go and you know, kill the king and kill the animals and do all that. And instead, he loses his kingship because of this. He comes back and and the Samuel comes and he says, did you do what God told you to do, what I said to do? He says, yeah, I did it. I did it. And all, and all of a sudden he goes, bah, bah. And he goes, what, 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 what's this bleeding I hear in my ear? He says, well, I did what you tell me to do. I just saved some of the good ones for God. You know, I just thought I'd, you can't do that. You have to do exactly what God says. You can't then decide in the moment what you think God wants. And he basically lost his kingship over that. The bleeding in his ear, right? So here basically, I mean, Peter's gonna come out all right, but in himself, He's thinking, you know, I've, I have, I'm flawed. And that's okay, isn't it? We already know now that's okay. But in himself, he says, get, a, get away from me. Now, the interesting thing about it, and we'll end on this. The interesting thing about it is later then through the walk, Jesus begins to ask people, um, who, do, who do men or who do people say that I am, Right? And that's important. It's important once in a while to ask, I wonder who people say that I am. I don't know why he asked that exactly, because he's not going to get a, you know, a true answer. Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say this. Some say that. Some say you're uh, John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Okay, well, we know that's not right. And then he turns it on him and says, well, who do you say? What about you? That's pretty important. Who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter's still around. And he says, you are the Christ, or better, you are the Messiah. 
you are the Messiah of the world. Bing, and Jesus says this, Peter, flesh, hmm. sorry, because that's where I've been kind of living recently. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Imagine that. But my Father in heaven has shown this to you. This is the guy that couldn't, who just said, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. But he could get, eventually, a revelation from the Father in heaven. What is this kingdom that can take such flawed people that can make such stupid mistakes and look at themselves and say, I'm flawed. I'm, you know, I'm not that great. I make mistakes. You know, uh, who am I? And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, can get a revelation on whatever subject. But he got a revelation. It's simple for us because we think, well, of course, we know he's Jesus. We know he's the Christ. We know he's the Messiah because we know because we're looking backwards, right? You know, our faith is, again, like we said, looking backwards. So it's easy for us now. But what about looking forward by faith? Sitting here, flawed people, looking at ourselves and say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about I want to be a different person or I'm flawed or I'm not that great or whatever we say about ourselves. Or what do they say about us? Okay, but it lets us know that looking forward by faith, we can still get a revelation. Flawed people can still hear Jesus say, you are getting something that flesh and blood didn't do, but my Father in heaven. So it's so important to have that forward look, to walk by faith, right? To believe in that which cannot be seen, and yet we call those things that are not, although they already are, looking. Because, I mean, how uh, I preached it last week. It says that we, we see what cannot be seen. How do you do that? But it says, by faith, we see. And, and, and Peter saw something. He knew something that only the Father gave him. And now it's easy for us, like I said, easy for us. We know it. But when you're, when you're Peter and you're standing and some people say, he's John the Baptist. You know, he's Elijah. He's of the devil. You know, some people said. And yet he knew something that came from the Father. That's that's a powerful moment that's easy for us to miss because we already know it backwards. But what's in front of us forward? What's in front of us forward in this world right now? A move of God. We talk about revival. I do a lot. Revival, a move of God. What's in front of us? What are we being prepared for? What should we be being prepared for? What, what is ahead of us that maybe we miss if we don't get our revelation? You know what I'm saying? There's revelations out there. There's something in front of us, just like there was something in front of them. And, and it's often missed because, you know, you know, these guys were making history, right? Do you think they knew it? Think they're walking the shores of Galilee and say, we're going to write the Bible. <laughs> Listen, we got to get this right. Yeah. And Thomas goes, oh, I doubt it. <laughs> okay. Right? But 
what if, I mean, we're, we're living in a very unusual time. We could be the history makers. This could be very, it, it could be the generation that's leading to the return of Jesus. And I know everybody has done that before and done it. But when a lot of people said this could be the end, this could be return of Jesus, they didn't quite have all the circumstances in place that we have. For one thing, there was no Israel until, what, what is it, 60, 60 years? 1948, anyway. So that's not very long ago. So all the predictions of the end couldn't be till there was an Israel because it had, there was a promise there'll be an Israel. And now we have an Israel. So that certainly puts it in our time frame that wasn't there before. And then the ability is there to destroy the earth, right? The nuclear ability, there's the ability, but it's not going to happen. The world is not going to end by man, right? And I love the, you know, I love it when Jesus says all these bad things could happen, but the end is not yet. You know, the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to all the nations. And then the end will come. Interesting, isn't it? The end comes by preaching. Preachers, preaching. That's what Jesus said to me. But um, interesting, isn't it? Imagine that we're the history. We, it, we're the history makers now, and we don't know it. You know, we don't feel it. We don't know it. And as I've said to some people recently, you know, we. We don't get to pick the time. Time picks us. And this is the time, our time. We're the history makers. And the reason I'm telling you that is it's, it's a great time to really seek the Lord. And, he's, and you think, well, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. Yeah, but you can afford to do it because he is what? A rewarder of those that do that. And you can afford it because all of us can use a few more rewards, a rewarder. And rewards could come in many, many ways, many, many ways. I have my, I, I'm basically finished, but I just tell you, my rewards have come in every way, every single way. You could get a reward. I, I feel like I've been rewarded every single way. I want it so much for you. I some of you have kids, some of you don't have kids, some of you are not married yet, some of you are married yet. And there's so many rewards in life, so many. Thank you for listening today. Now it's time to put your faith into action by applying this word to your life. If you'd like help taking your next steps with Jesus, contact us at revivechicago.church.